It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Mark Kanoy, President and Chief Executive Officer of American Commercial Barge Lines. Prior to joining ACBL, Mark was the President of AEP River Operations, which was ultimately purchased by ACBL during his tenure. Mark began his career in 1973 working aboard toll boats on the inland waterways as a deckhand and then as a captain. Today, he serves as a director of the Corps of Engineers Inland Waterway Users Board, a board of trustees member for both the Coast Guard Foundation and the Siemens Church Institute and its Center for Maritime Education and Ministry on the Water. He is a past chairman of both the Waterways Council and the Midwest Region of the American Waterways Operators. Mark lives with his wife, Mary, in Louisville, and together they have three grown children. Mark Kanoy, welcome into the corner office. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Great to have you here. And we were just talking a few minutes ago uh, about the the COVID impact, and both you and I have kind of been spared a lot of it. In fact, if anything, it sounds like you're wrapping up for more business. I've been busier as ever. We're about three months in as this uh, recording is being made. But uh, how are you holding up personally? Have you got you know adult kids that have come back and sanctioned themselves at home, as so many of us have, or uh, you and your wife uh, enjoying uh, maybe a little bit of freedom for you not traveling as much, which I understand to be true. Yeah, well, we're empty nesters and right. uh, not that I'm counting, but it's been 11 weeks since I hit the road. I'm normally <laughs> uh, sleeping in some other bed three nights a week. Yeah. And uh, yeah. my wife and I have looked back, uh, we've been married 40 years and this is the longest stretch of time we've ever been together. And <laughs> I'm not sure how long that will last. <laughs> well, I'm sure she's very happy about that. But uh, who knows, as we get through this thing, our travel schedules and probably our work lives will change. You know, the new normal will be something that'll be different for all of us. But uh, I'm glad to hear that you're holding up and, and your business as well. You're an essential industry, as you mentioned. So um, have you had to lay off any staff, Mark, or have you actually ramped up as some of the other essential industries have? I've no, it's been pretty it. flat. We have about yeah. 2,100 uh, teammates, yeah. and uh, the vast majority of them work on towboats where they're gone for a month at a time. So yeah. when this whole thing broke out, we had about half of our employees had been quarantined on boats yeah, uh, right. for about a month. So they were all in good shape, and <laughs> yeah, uh, we yeah. you know, ramped up our uh, onboarding procedures. And uh, we've been very fortunate through a lot of uh, preventative uh, procedures and care. We've uh, limited our exposure to COVID. And uh, we've been very busy, not not busier than uh, normal, but it's been pretty much business as usual for That's us great. and for all of our teammates. So 
we're very happy about that. Awesome, Mark. Well, that's great to hear. Um, but let's talk about you. Uh, you know, we want to kind of earn, learn a little bit about your early years. Uh, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like, parents, siblings. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, I, I grew up in uh, a, a little small community of nine houses and 65 people in the middle oh of gosh. cornfields wow. uh, where they intersected with the Illinois River uh, around Starved Rock State Park. And, uh, and this is dad, in Indiana, Mark? Uh, this is in central Illinois. Central Illinois. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad had married a, a, a girl from this town and uh, he built a home there nice. and uh, uh, raised uh, five children. He was wow. a, a riverboat captain. And oh, uh, so he okay. wasn't home very often. So when yeah. we did get to see him, it would be a quick trip in the station wagon over to the lock and where his <laughs> boat was going through. And uh, we'd get to see him and wave and say hi. And uh, the first time I got to travel with him on a towboat, I was about seven years old. Wow. So whether it was wanting to be with my dad or fascinated with the business, I'm not sure which, but I fell in love with it, and yeah. uh, my future was pretty well laid out for me uh, <laughs> at a very young age. All I wanted to do was be like my dad and uh, and drive a towboat. That's awesome. Gosh, very early on. And so you were seven at the time. You said five brothers and sisters. Where are you in the pecking order? I, I'm right in the middle. Okay. Uh, at one time, all of our family uh, worked at a, a small business we had in the towing industry uh, okay. around Pekin, Illinois. Yeah. And uh, so uh, my brother today is a chief engineer over at uh, Marathon Petroleum at, at their barge company. Oh. Uh, my sisters are both retired former supply chain people uh, in the river industry. And wow. my uh, uh, my other sister was a logistics in the river industry. So uh, they've all had uh, uh, some semblance of career in the business. Yeah. And uh, I would uh, relate all of that back to our early upbringing and my father's uh, professional career. Quick. Quite a dynasty. Was 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 mom involved in the industry as well, or is she bringing up all five of you? Well, she was helping time? out with anything that she could, but uh-huh. uh, she uh, she worked as well. We all were uh, trying to support the family. This is back in, uh, I think we started that business in 1984. Oh, wow. Uh, we sold it in uh, 1989. I thought uh, uh, I had done fairly well in that opportunity. I thought, geez, now I've got it made. I'll just go work for somebody else and kind of take life easy. And boy, was I in for a surprise there. I, I probably well, worked more than I ever worked owning my own business. I can imagine that. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. What were some of the um, early memories you had of dad? You know, obviously it didn't sound like you saw him a whole lot and driving out of the station wagon, joining him on the trip. Were there certain principles he taught you or things that you picked up along the way? Yeah, you know, I felt like it was pretty special that I got to spend that time on the yeah. boat with him and just be him and I. And you know, we'd have to share a room. It wasn't all that usual for family members to be on the boat. But, sure. you know, my dad was extremely well known as the in the industry. Everybody liked him. The, his name, a uh, nickname was Hot Rod because he could uh, <laughs> supposedly really make the boats go up and down the river. Uh, I was just always fascinated with the ease of ability that he did his job. And, uh, you know, kind of like driving a race car where you should be looking out the front window all the time. He he rarely right. looked out the front window. <laughs> uh, it just became very natural for yeah. him. And the other thing was he was just a whiz at math and, mm, uh, really? you know, just one of those individuals that can take two numbers and give you an answer no matter what you want to do with them. And uh, he taught me some of those tricks. So I, I have to give a lot of my uh, credit in growing up. Uh, certainly my dad shaped the the career path that yeah. I went on and yeah. uh, certainly taught me a lot of things about life uh, at a very early age. Uh, 
as I was even going through high school, I would uh, run out and, and ride the boat with him for a couple of days, maybe over a long weekend. And then in the summers, I would work with him on the boat. So uh, by the time I got out of high school, um, I, I was ready to go. I knew yeah. exactly what I wanted to do and I couldn't wait to get to it. <laughs> Were you a good student in school? Yeah, I think so. You know, we yeah. raised three children, my wife and I, right. and uh, uh, they've all uh, done extremely well. They're all now, you know, young adults and fully employed and trying to start families. But I remember, uh, you know, their education was so much different than ours. And right. they uh, ended up in talented and gifted programs. And growing up in a little uh, small community, uh, a consolidated high school of uh 150 kids in total wow. uh, just seemed like we uh, we probably got uh, less of an education than what we wished we would. So I I got in a fair amount of just mischief trouble as a student. <laughs> uh, I was bored. And, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. You were uh, challenged. I, yeah. Yeah. I just uh, need something else to challenge me. So right, uh, right. interesting dynamic, the difference there. Involved in sports, music, you know, other yeah, things. You know, that you I did. never was really uh, overcome with. Uh, uh, athletics. I, uh, right. I didn't get a very good dose of athleticism from my dad uh, or my mom for that matter. Right. But, you know, I was just growing up in a small family out in the middle of the country. Uh, I wouldn't say we were poor. Uh, we always had plenty to eat and we always had uh, right. a roof over our heads and, and clothes to wear. But Nothing more than that. If you wanted yeah, a bicycle, yeah. you'd have to figure out how to pay for it if you wanted a candy bar or soda pop. So, you know, work was what we did. And uh, growing out in the country, worked on farms, you know, baling yeah. hay and yeah. and uh, shelling corn. and, and working, for other, working for other farmers for the most part then? Yeah, the working community. for farmers yeah. around the area. And right. uh, that's just what you did uh, because right, sure. there wasn't uh, – I remember we had two TV stations, uh, the local WEEQ25. Right. Uh, I don't remember the affiliation. And then we had kind of a religious TV station oh. and that was it. So, yeah. And plus mom wouldn't let you sit around in the house doing nothing. <laughs> so course. you were just yeah. better off to be outside either exploring <laughs> or if you were lucky enough uh, working on another guy's farm. Yeah. Come back at dinner time, Right. Unless exactly. you get fed, unless you get fed at the farmer's house. What, yep. what, what'd you do with that pocket money? Was that something you, you saved away or were there well, certain vices I, uh, you had? <laughs> I, 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 I got a little bit of the gasoline and girls as yeah, I got okay. 15, 16 years old. And uh, my dad was kind of a car fanatic, was uh, he? always had a nice car. Yeah. And uh, so uh, uh, that's probably where I funneled most of my money was <laughs> I saved it up for a car. I remember, you know, living out in the country back in those days, when I was 14 years old, I bought a $25 uh, used car. <laughs> $25. And, uh, I, love I it. could then drive it back and forth to work, even though I didn't have a license. I drove 11 miles back and forth to work, and that was very acceptable back then. Yeah, sure. Uh, Nobody was on the did. road for the most part, I imagine, right? Yeah, there used to be, a, a, I think there was even a law back in those days that uh, kids on farms at 14 could yeah, drive, right. you know, cars and trucks and implements on the road. And, uh, you know, it was a very different time in a very rural area. <laughs> as long as you could see over the dashboard, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I love it. And um, it was college ever an option for you? Did you, you know, was that something you talked about? And tell me about, you know, the thought process around that. It was, um, but I really didn't have the guidance um, yeah. to, to support it. My dad always had a lot bigger dreams for me. He, 
I don't know where he came up with the term or if he even knew what it meant. He wanted me to be a nuclear physicist. Oh, my gosh. I wow. had no idea what that was. I wanted to be a towboat pilot. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, you know, I felt like it had treated our family pretty well over the years. But uh, I did. And I remember my mom taking me to the Great Lakes Naval Base and did my physical and everything and came home. And, you know, the, the day I got ready to pack and go to school, I, I just said, I'm not going. I'm, I'm going to go to Memphis and sit for my towboat license at the U.S. Coast Guard yeah. testing facility. Right. And so that's what I did. And yeah. uh, looking back on it, I know I really disappointed my my family by not mm. going off to school. But uh, I sit here today as the president of one of our that's right. yeah. industry's largest uh, businesses. And uh, I would I think never, you've done OK. <laughs> I have, but I would never uh, I would never advise anybody else to yeah. do that. It. Uh, you know, the, the lessons I've learned in business have been, uh, you know, the most memorable, but I could have started off with uh, much better education. And uh, anybody that's listening to this, I would strongly encourage the value of education. I think uh, I, I've sent three children through college now, mm. and it's a wide variety of cost. And you don't have to get caught up in the most expensive school. They teach the same skills at right. at just about any type of school. And uh, I know my wife, uh, you know, went through the local junior college and then went to uh, a state college. And uh, uh, we didn't have any college debt when she was done. So yeah, that's you, good. you that's can a make good it thing. work if you want to. <laughs> well, so you went down to, it was it down in Tennessee, right? For your uh, Yeah, I went down to Memphis. License. That's where yeah, the Coast Guard office was. Right, right. There were some river schools down there. And I had yeah. saved pretty good money back, you know, when I was a, a young guy, I was making uh, $20, $25 a day, which... Uh, was a lot of money back then. That's not and bad. Yeah. It and you didn't, you didn't spend it all on gas and girls. It doesn't sound right. Like. <laughs> and I, well, I, I knew it was going to cost me $700, which Ooh. seemed like, you know, I should be able to buy a house with that back in those days. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, so I had to save up $700 and it was a one week class on rules of the road in the maritime industry. Mm. And, uh, had to have a hotel room and, and, you know, a few meals and, I left there a week later, uh, uh, 19 years and seven days old, and, wow. and went and got on a towboat. That's great. So literally right out uh, from Memphis, or what did you? what was your first yeah, job? Actually, on my way home, uh, I got a call and hmm. said, you know, if you could be in Hennepin, Illinois, uh, tomorrow, we'll put you to work. And that was wow. my first job, and I was there. So. <laughs> well, that's pretty immediate results, right? Yeah, that's great. It, well, you know, it's a, it, this is a cottage industry, and it still yeah. is today. Right. Uh, and I, I hate to uh, refer to history, but, uh, you know, back in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, regulatory issues uh, were something we'd never really heard of even. Right. Uh, right. HR, well, we didn't even know what that word meant. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, right. You know, it was just it was a different time. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. the name was very well known. And, you know, if you're Delbert Canoy's son, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure he's brought you up the right way and probably taught you how to run a boat. and. You know, so I, I was given a chance that a lot of other kids That's wouldn't great. be given just due to my dad's reputation, I'm sure. That's great. Well, do you remember the first time you started managing people, Mark? Well, I do because I uh, I, I got my pilot's license and then it, it wasn't very long after that. Actually, within about six months, I met the girl that I ended up marrying. And, okay. And, uh, uh, you know, we started to, uh, uh, you know, date and she knew a little bit about what I did, but not totally. And so when I told her I would uh, I would be gone a month and home a month and mm. gone a month and home a month, she's like, well, I 
that didn't sound all that appealing to her. And <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. She was important enough to me that I said, well, then let me let me find a, a job in our industry where I could be home. Oh, right. And so uh, I, 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 I took a demotion, took a cut in pay mm. and and worked in a local uh, what they call a harbor service, a fleeting. Uh, it, it's kind of like where the, the big boats with the big toes of barges come in and out. It's okay. kind of like a parking garage, if you will. Right. And right. Uh, where they get all the barges ready to load sure. and unload. And and I could do that, uh, uh, making about 20 percent of what I did working on the boats. Whoa. But, uh, <laughs> that's a I big sacrifice. That that, that's love, Mark. <laughs> I was that excited about this girl. And uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I just so happened the, the owner's son uh, was in a horrific uh, automobile accident mm. and lost his life. Oh. And uh, I stepped in and filled those shoes. And within yeah. a year, they bought another business. And uh, I guess in uh, mid-1980, uh, my new bride and I, we moved to Pekin, Illinois. And mm. uh, I ran a, a, a small business operation that they had bought. Here I was, a kid, twenty-one years old, uh, the boss of men, if you will. You know, yeah, men that right. were forty years old that yeah, had twice your age, yeah, wives yeah. and children almost as old as me. You know, right, and right. Uh, how did that go? Uh, what, was that a challenge for you? It, and what were was, some of the it, lessons from that period? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult, and and it's it, yeah. it's been an uphill climb in uh, most of my career because uh, I've always been much younger than the people I led. Right, and uh, you know, one of the one of the first things I learned, and, and probably during that uh, period of time, the first couple of years I was there, is you can't really tell people what to do. You've got to right. make people want to do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's best to, to not share ideas. It's to get them to create their own ideas. And, mm. you know, it, it, it was how to, um, I, I didn't call it this then, but today my mantra, and it has been for a long time, is you you manage processes, but you have to lead people and you, right. you've got to make people want to do what it is that you want them to do hmm. uh, versus telling them. And I learned that early on because it uh, there was no way that I had the respect uh, of my, uh, uh, you know, those that I was supervising. I, I was just a, a kid, if you will. Sure. And uh so I, I, I had to figure out how to how to uh, incentivize them to do right. the things that we needed to do. Right. And right. so I eventually figured out if it was their idea, they were always willing to do it. So, <laughs> you know, you just start to prime the pump with some ideas and pretty soon you uh, you kind of, you know, lead them along the path of where you want them to go. And before long, they come up with the idea and bingo. Bingo. That's uh, it. All of a sudden things start to happen. I think that was. Uh, uh, a revelation for me early Great on lesson. because they yeah. they would just assume uh you know th this was a little bit in the wild west back then that uh they, they just soon whip you as as maybe you know do what you told them to do <laughs> you know, did you have some favorite bosses and mentors along the way you know folks oh, that you I've, looked up to can you talk I've about very some lucky, of those yeah uh, very yeah a lot you know excluding my dad which right. uh, I, I don't exclude for that reason i mean he was probably my largest but I've been very fortunate to have a handful of uh, mentors in my life, uh, both in career uh, and personally. And uh, um, unfortunately, a couple of them have passed away. Hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, teach you the real values. And uh, yeah. I think in any business, when you get down to it, what you ultimately learn 
is it's all about the people. Right. Um, right. You really can't do anything without their support. And um, it took a while, you know, um, it's easy to rule with a heavy hand, but that energy that you get from people that they want to give, you can't really beat that out of them. They got to want to give that to you. Right. And so just, you know, understanding more and more about people. And I think probably over the last 15 years, that's all I've really worked on is Mm. trying to better understand the, uh, the psychology around getting people to uh, follow uh, versus telling. Right. And right. Uh, I think that's really what's uh, separated my success in my career is uh, uh, leading people through opportunities uh, versus managing them. Yeah. Awesome. I think you manage pieces. You you lead people. You got to figure right. that out. Right. Well, Mark, we know that you're uh, president and CEO of ACBL. Uh, however, you spent, gosh, about 18 years, I think, with AEP River Operations now, and you ended up at president there before you moved on. Tell us a little bit about that career. Is that where you started uh, as, a, as a tugboat operator, or was that your first management job? To, yeah, how that, did you get, get started at AEP? So we, we, had the, uh, we had the business I told you about in, uh, that I uh, ran in 1980, uh, four years later. That was uh, a, that was I, the uh, the family business, correct? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. It, it it belonged to uh, you know my employer, and then four right. years later we bought them out and Got created it. this family business, and we had that for about five years. We sold it. My father retired. My siblings went their separate ways, and I went to work uh, for a larger barge line and moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and started there in sales and. Uh, you know, I wasn't very accustomed to working for other people. And so mm. it, uh, it became uh, clear to me immediately that if I wanted to be there, I really needed to be the president because I didn't like people telling me what to do. <laughs> and okay. so I, I remember within about the first week, uh, and I knew the president of the company very well. He had right. recruited me and I'd actually sold a little piece of the business to them as we shut, uh, as we sold it off. And I I went there to, you know, help him integrate it and, and run that part of the business. And he says, like, well, what do you think you'll do here? I said, well, I, I would hope that I have your job within 10 years. <laughs> and uh, he chuckled. And uh, six years later, I had his job. Wow. wow so that's great. Um, I started there in the early 90s. And uh, it was a, a separate company for me. Was it, was it a privately held operation? Yeah, it was That's a privately a, held yeah. operation, family, family uh, kind business. of mid mid range in our yeah. business, and Mid-market. they were purchased uh, by AEP in two thousand. Okay, and uh, I had uh-huh. helped make that sale. Just before that sale, I was named the president at, and then they were acquired by AEP. AEP. And when AEP acquired it, they asked me to take on the leadership position then as awesome. well. Yeah, um, very interesting career. Learned a lot. Uh, you know, I've always, uh, well, not always, but, you know, for the last 20 years, uh, led somewhere around a couple thousand people. Um, you know, just, a, a, I, I've enjoyed it every single yeah. day. And, and well, you I, I left, the, you left there, you left there in mid uh, 2011. Now, you, did you join, uh, ACBL at that time? Did you come in as president CEO or tell us about that transition? Well, I, I did. Uh, ACBL was a publicly traded company. It was taken okay. private by a private equity firm. And uh, that private equity firm uh, uh, recruited me Reached to come over to and run right. it. And right. the time they were uh, you know, taking this company uh, private and, and looking for a management team, 
our youngest went off to college. So I found my wife and I as empty nesters and said, you know, I think I've got one more big push left in me. (laughs) And uh, this looks like a great opportunity to go to work and run the the flagship company in the industry. And so it was very appealing and came over here nine years ago and uh, ended up buying the former employer. Uh, About five years ago, bought AP River Operations. So uh, we are now uh, at the top of the heap, if you will, in the industry and uh, have enjoyed every minute of it. That's great. That's great. Well, tell us a little bit about it. You say you've got about 2,100 employees, I think. And what's the operational span of your business? And and specifically, what does ACBL do? Yeah, so we basically move uh, uh, very high volume cargoes. along the waterways, cargoes that can't really be moved any other way. So as an example, a coal generating station burns the equivalent of a thousand truckloads of coal every day, which wouldn't be a very practical delivery method. So we move that in there by barge. Uh, So we move all the things that bring you pleasure in life, uh, but not that exact item. So we help generate the electricity. We mm-hmm. move the energy. We deliver the gasoline that goes to the gas station that goes into your car. We mm-hmm. deliver the ores and alloys that make the steel. And then we deliver the steel to the automaker that makes the cars or to the appliance manufacturer. Uh, we're also a big import export business, move a lot of agricultural products. Right. Uh, to the world market. So yeah. uh, we travel up and down about 12,000 miles of inland waterways from mm. all along the Gulf Coast from Texas to Florida and then up through the Midwest and the breadbasket to Chicago right. and Minneapolis and the industrial Ohio River up to Pittsburgh. Mm. So we're basically a transportation company yeah. that uh, moves things in a barge that's the equivalent of about 100 truckloads at a time. Yeah, yeah, great. And, and only in the internal ri- uh, riverways of America. You don't go up into north uh, uh, to Canada or else down south, et cetera. You're only domestic? Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in the world, many people don't know this, but one of the reasons our economy is as strong as it is, is because of these river highways that made right. our transportation uh, about a tenth of the cost of our global competitors. Wow. And, uh, wow. Is it cheaper uh, than trucking, Mark? Uh, is, is it cheaper than trucking mile for mile? Yeah. So our transportation generally is about 25, uh, is uh, generally about 25% of the cost of rail transportation wow. and about wow. 10% of the cost of truck transportation. My gosh, but keep in mind, we're going to bring you nearly 2,000 tons of something at a time. So right, right. unless you want the equivalent of 100 truckloads, we're not your type of transportation. <laughs> You're not going to get that efficiency, right? Yeah, right. we're not Amazon by any yeah. means. So it's it's always single um, single order barges. In other words, uh, if, if I was to arrange that and I had a business, you would only sell me space on that one barge. You don't do less than container loads, so to speak, with, no, with we don't, different customers. But, but, yeah. but we would sell you as many barges as it takes to fill up a ship. Wow. So for an example, wow. uh, 50 barge loads go on a ship that then sails across the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. So yeah. we would Fantastic. give you enough barges to be the equivalent of a shipload of your product. Yeah. Uh, we would do that as well. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. How has your leadership evolved over time? You know, obviously from your humble beginnings and inspirations from seven years old to now running, you know, a a multi-million dollar company. Uh, If you reflect back, uh, what have been some of those changes, some of those styles that you think have evolved over that period of time? 
Well, you know, I, I think society has changed a lot just in general with the way that uh, uh, people are, are taken care of. I think that's probably the biggest change that I've seen in my career is uh, in our industry. Uh, we now provide, you know, jobs where people can raise a family, uh, a, a real living wage, if you will. Yeah. Uh, our, our, our guys starting out, uh, you know, with within 10 years, they'll be making $100,000 a year uh, wow. right out of high school. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that that we can provide a good living wage. Um, you know, I think what happened is when I joined the first kind of major barge company, you're surrounded by people with a lot of different skill sets. And I was always interested in every piece of the company. And, mm. and so I would go see the subject matter experts, maybe in finance uh, or in HR or in risk management and operations and in sales. And I was always intrigued how it worked together. So I always had a lot of support to learn that. You know, yeah. you can learn so much by just uh, listening. And I think that's a, a major skill that you learn over time. The, the better listener you, you become, generally the better leader you become. And so just absorbing uh, all of that knowledge over the course of time. And then, you know, AEP, uh, uh, if people aren't familiar with American Electric Power, they're the largest generating company in the U.S. And hmm. You know, they, they just have a tremendous amount of uh, resources to learn about business and about people. And uh, what I found is if you're willing to invest your own time, they were willing to invest in me. And so right. I was just exposed to a tremendous amount of resources. And as I mentioned, some really, really strong uh, coaching and mentors. Uh, one of my best mentors ever was a gentleman by the name of Chuck Zabula over at AEP. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I've coined a lot of, or not coined, but captured a lot of his phrases and uh, styles and, um, you know, just moving between a couple of those companies and the different perspectives of, of what they had in their leadership styles help you out. And so in the end, we just combined a bunch of those. Our, yeah. our, our culture here is, uh, we call it our million dollar path to success, uh, uh, our, our mutual care, personal responsibility, agility, hmm. teamwork. And, um, you know, we, we just feel like um, people will do the job if you give them the resources and the opportunity to do it. Right, right. That's awesome. And and how do you keep that culture alive? I mean, you know, you've got a large organization. You probably have met most of the people, but, you know, they're diverse. They're out there for maybe days, weeks at a time. You know, what do you how do you go about keeping that culture alive? Well, I think first and foremost, it's transparency. Is hmm. You know, we, we tell our teammates everything. We tell them the good things. We tell them the bad things. But probably more than anything is you surround yourself with leaders that have like kind thinking. Hmm. So. My, my thinking goes through my COO, my CFO, my uh, uh, chief commercial officer. And, you know, so it's, it's pretty easy if you surround yourself with like kind of people when it comes to that. Uh, they, they transcend that uh, uh, culture down right. through the ranks. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, you know, you obviously do a lot of hiring and retaining of folks. Uh, you probably don't get involved much beyond the C-suite, but, you know, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in? And, you know, how do you interview and hire? 
Well, you know, I think there's there's just uh, you, you have to have a couple characteristics that are just, uh, uh, you know, beyond reproach. And mm-hmm. those are all the kind that you might think about honesty, integrity. Um, and once you get along that, I, I think we're looking for people that leaders that have good people skills, because in the end, when you're in a company this size and you have these large roles, there's no way you can do it yourself. You've got to yeah. be able to lead people. So we're generally looking for good, solid leadership qualities that mirror our culture. So I I feel that we can take somebody that fits our culture and teach them uh, subject matter expertise. So we generally look for somebody that's a good culture fit. Yeah. So if you had just about five or 10 minutes, maybe this is someone deeper in the organization, but you know, the hiring manager says, you know, I, I really want Mark to meet this person. I think that he or she has got potential longer term, and this is an important hire for me. And, you know, I'd love to have Mark interview this person and, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time, but what would you focus in on and ask them? Well, you know, I, I generally try to learn just a little bit about them individually, Mm -hmm. because that says so much about them. And, you know, if you just ask an individual about their family, they'll go on forever. You, know? you just have <laughs> exactly. to ask the right question. Their favorite and I subject. Think, <laughs> I think the way people raise their family has a lot to do with how mm. they'll lead their teams. And, yeah. uh, you know, we always ask those probing questions about, you know, how did you react to, a, 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 you know, if you're in operations, maybe a serious injury or even a fatality or how do you discipline individuals? Uh, how do you reward them? Uh, how much do you listen versus talking? Uh, mm. uh, you know, I, I think, uh, again, just trying to find those similar attributes that that fit in with our culture. We want people that have uh, a lot of passion and a lot of drive uh, in team building and organizational development. Mm. Uh, we just strongly believe that it, uh, it, it, it takes a team to get it done. So right. we're generally looking for that cultural fit. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Well, um, we're just about ready to wrap up. You've been so generous with your time, but a couple of final questions, you know, we kind of started the the conversation about COVID and the impact and, and how you've been blessed and how ROI's business has been blessed during this process. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes ahead and, you know, just tell us a little bit about what impact do you think uh, you'll see in the, in a post COVID world, particularly as it relates to your business, if any. Well, you know, I, I think we've noticed two things. One, our people are working. Uh, let me back up and, and just separate uh, a, a little bit here between the people in the field right. who have continued to work in the field, doing the same jobs uh, day in and day out. And, and that's probably 90% of the people that work here. In headquarters, uh, we have about 180 people in headquarters. About 30 of us stayed here every day throughout the uh, covid uh, mainly the planning team, if you will, so we could dispatch out, you know, things that needed to be uh, uh, done. Um, but I think what we found is that, uh, you know, we have a lot of, of, of dinosaurs, if you will, and and our our leadership uh, aren't quite as tech savvy as some, and so we we have always questioned whether or not people can really work from home. And I mm. think what we have found out is not only can they work from home, they can be even more productive, <laughs> more productive yeah. and they can be happier. Yeah. And uh, many of them feel like they've uh, 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 essentially gotten a raise through this process. <laughs> uh, they've saved all the commute time. They get That's up, right. uh, they walk 10 feet to go to their home office. <laughs> uh, they save all of that time uh, and they're flexible. I mean, we're yeah. a 24 hour a day, 365 day a year business. So right. in the end, we're not so much uh, uh, committed to getting things done between eight and five. We, we have things that need to be done around the clock. And 
So we find that if you give people a little flexibility, they generally give you more in return. Yes, and that's, that's what right. we found is that us old dinosaurs have have learned that you can trust people outside of the office to do just as much, if not more, than what they had done while they were here. Yeah. Now we are a little concerned about the 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 loss of collaboration that just is you know almost through osmosis that you get just by being here. Uh, but we think there's a lot of attributes to uh, uh, providing this flexibility and. Uh, we, we think there will be somewhere between maybe 25 and 35% of our people that never come back to the yeah, office. And yeah. I think we're going to be okay with and that's that. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting what you said about productivity. I did some research uh, as we went into this process because I knew there would be a big shift to remote working. And we've been doing a lot of hiring in that area for some time. But pre-COVID, Mark, typically the at-home worker put in between a day and a day and a half every month in additional time and productivity. So call that, you know, 18 days a year. That's like a full vacation package. And on top of that, they were not only half happier and healthier, they also had higher retention rates. So clearly yeah. uh, people really do enjoy that. And yeah, I think that's going to be a big shift for many, many companies. You know, when you look at the cost of real estate in offices, it's crazy, right? Why, why do you need to have that? Do we yes, we, uh, we face uh, uh, not a COVID, COVID uh, uh, national impact, but Almost annually, we face a, a crisis along the Gulf Coast with a hurricane. So mm, we're very exposed to hurricanes. You've read those stories. Sure. Katrina was by far the worst some number of years ago. But one of the things we learned during that event is if you'll help the people, if you'll help them take care of themselves and their family, they'll take care of the business for you. And, yes. and that's exactly our approach with COVID is we're working really hard to take care of our people. Yeah. And when they don't have to worry about having a job and having a paycheck, uh, they're paying us back and double in support mm. and commitment and productivity. And um, I, I just think that's where people really uh, miss the boat, no pun intended to our <laughs> business. But I, I really think that's where many leaders fail is uh, yeah. they never give their employees. Uh, uh, the first time I've used that word, I always call our folks teammates. Right. But they don't give them enough credit. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. what they can really do and the value that they can add. And I, 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 I guess that's the message I'd like to leave with young leaders: is people can do amazing things if you give them the right resources and the right support. No question, no question. Well, Mark, last question we ask this of all of our CEO featured guests: um, You did mention the importance of education and going on to college, um, but what other kind of career and life advice would you give to someone that maybe has their eyes on the corner office and you know wants to uh, run a company the, the size of yours someday? Well, don't do it if you want to have a family or anything else. <laughs> well, you've done okay a, in that area. <laughs> it, it, takes a, it takes a tremendous amount of time. But what I tell young leaders is to build a team as early as you can. Yeah. Build a team, support, surround yourself with subject matter experts in every different business discipline as you uh, that you can think of. And as you move up the ladder, bring those teammates with you because they will become endear to you mm. and, and vice versa. And Teams are what makes the world go around, I think, especially the larger the, the company, the, the better team you need to lead it. Yeah, so true. Well, Mark Canoy, uh, American Commercial Barge Lines President and CEO, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you, Brant. Happy to be here. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. 
For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the Mighty Middle Market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.